Christmas is a, an appropriate uh, time to be thinking about giving, isn't it? Because Jesus Christ was not just born, he was given. Jesus Christ was not just born, he was given. And often at Christmas, that famous Isaiah passage, to us uh, a child is born, to us a son is given. Jesus was given to us. He's the greatest gift that God has given to us. And it's an appropriate time to have a gift day because it's part of our response to the great gift that God has given us, his generosity to us in Christ. And it's out of the overflow of our hearts and gratitude and thanks to him uh, that we give. So it's a good time to be doing that. And in the sermon, Jesus is moving right now from morality to practice, how you live out your Christian faith, your discipleship to Jesus. And uh, he's going to look at giving, uh, praying, and fasting. We're going to spend a bit of a longer series in the Lord's Prayer, um, but that's what we're, we're moving into in this um, passage. And Jesus is going to speak into the age-old question today about what makes you good? What makes you a good person? If you do good things, does that make you a good person? Or are you a good person who then does good things? Which way round is it? And he's going to speak into that in this passage. So should we read together? We're in Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. And it says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I I say to you, they've received their reward, But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you give, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. So three things that Jesus is speaking into. Uh, Here's the first one. He's speaking about righteousness. Jesus says, when you give, he assumes that his disciples will give. That's just the first thing to note. He just assumes that they're going to be giving. When you give, he doesn't say if you give. He says when you give. And if you remember from Scripture, there's that story, isn't there, of the widow who gives out the very little that she has. She gives everything that she has. And Jesus is so pressed with her, with her giving, the, uh, the giving that she, she gives, in, even in her poverty. He just assumes that disciples would give. And this is the practice of most world religions, isn't it? Think about Judaism and Islam. There's versions of giving giving to charity. It's even in humanism. I know you've heard of the giving what you can movement. The giving what you can movement is a humanist uh, movement set up by some Oxford philosophers, a guy called Toby Ord, and he's established this, essentially as a kind of charity. It's really, it's a movement of people. They've got 9,319 members, and all of the members take this pledge. I recognize that I can use part of my income to do a significant amount of good. Since I can live well enough on a smaller income, I pledge that from now until the day I retire, I shall give 10% of my income to whichever organisations can most effectively use it to improve the lives of others. Now and in the years to come, I make this pledge freely. The Bible talks a lot about that, doesn't it? Give not under compulsion. Not somebody who's bending your arm. If you're a visitor here this morning, we're not after your money. Please keep your hands in your pockets. That's not um, what our gift days are about give I do this freely openly which Jesus is about to speak about and sincerely 
and then their website lists the names of people who've taken the pledge and are giving 10% of their income. And you might have heard the cultural argument that you don't have to be, good, uh, be a Christian to be good. Righteousness apart from faith is possible. Um, if righteousness is about external kind of what you do, the things you do, if it's the things that you do that make you good, i.e. righteous, then that's true, isn't it? Because anybody could do good things. People do good things all the time, don't they? And if the good things are what make you a good person, then lots of people are good, because lots of people do good things. Uh, Jesus is going to be speaking into that and saying, actually, it's not really about your observable external behavior. It's got to do with your heart. And so Jesus assumes giving, but righteousness, he says, is not about the doing of it. It's about the why and the how. It's not about the doing of it. It's about the why and the how. The focus is not the action itself. It's the motive and the manner. It's about the motive and the manner. It's about what's going on in your heart and therefore how you give. See, there's a wrong way, Jesus says, to give. And that wrong way is giving for public approval, for other people's praise. He says there's a right way to give. And it's inward in the secret place, in the heart. And you give secretly for the Father's approval, not the praise of others. So righteousness then is right living. That's what righteousness means, right living. is based first on a relationship with the righteous one, Jesus. It's not about what you actually do. Jesus just assumes that people will give. He says righteousness is about is an inner thing. It's about the heart. In fact, Paul says exactly the same thing in the second letter to Corinthians. He says this, He made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that verse, what does that verse actually mean? Well, so far, throughout the sermon, what Jesus has been doing is he's been showing us what a righteousness greater than the Pharisees and scribes looks like. Yeah? The Pharisees are the ones who really keep the law. They don't just keep the law, they like really keep the law. Like they go the extra mile. They do extra things to show that they're righteous, to show that they're living the right way. And what Jesus has been saying is the deeper meaning and intention of the law is not just about the way that you behave and what's external and observable by other people. It's about what's going on in your heart. And he's been saying the deeper meaning and intention of the law is not just to not murder. It's about, in your heart, not being angry towards others. It's not about committing adultery. It's about not lusting at people you're not married to. Yeah? And so Jesus is talking about the deeper meaning and intention of the law rather than just outward observance. He's talking about how and why you give rather than just the fact that you do. And so as Christians, having been made righteous by faith in the righteous one, Jesus, what happens is he exchanges something. Jesus lives the perfect life that we haven't lived. We live a life of sin. And Jesus goes, here's my righteousness, which is not just his actual living out of the perfect life, perfectly obeying the Father and um, loving other people. It's his heart, his pure heart, where at every and any moment, he is always loving the Father and loving other people from the heart. He's not just doing the right thing, but inwardly going, oh, I really wish I could do the other thing. 
he, he is the only person who is ever just doing it because that's exactly his heart and his intention. Whereas for us, even when we do the right things, outwardly, sometimes in our heart, you're going to really kind of like forcing yourself into it with a smile on your face. Because there's something going on in our hearts. And so Jesus is saying, he lived this perfect life for us, intention and heart and all, and we haven't. And he offers an exchange. And he says, here's my righteousness, heart and action, given to you. And we take our sin, heart and all, actions and everything, and give it to him. He dies on the cross for it. And in exchange, he gives us his righteousness. And then the Bible says that we're clothed in it. And that's the thing that makes us right with God, that we come into a, and we, we receive that by faith. We come into a faith relationship with God and say, Jesus, we trust you to die for our own righteousness. He gives us his righteousness. And the way that that happens is it says in Ezekiel about God giving us a heart of flesh, not of stone. And so the kind of righteousness you have is not just therefore just like this record of list of right things that you've done. He gives you a new heart that desires to love him and obey him. And then out of that righteous heart that he gives you flows the things that you do. What Jesus is kind of advocating for is a righteousness that works its way from the inside, a new heart with new desires that's flesh and not stone, into your actions in your life. And the whole Christian life is this battle, isn't it? Is my heart going to do the thing that I really want to do, love and obey God and love others, or am I going to kind of do what my kind of I want to do on you know in my humanity, sinful humanity? Yeah. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about righteous change from the inside out, not outside in. So Jesus' answer to the question, what makes you good, is faith in him. A relationship with the righteous one who gives you a righteous heart to live it out of the overflow of your heart. You can do outwardly good things and it, it doesn't work its way in. You can't do it back to front. You can't do good things on the outside like giving and become a good person in your heart. That's what Jesus has been saying to the Pharisees and to us. And Jesus calls them hypocrites for this. And that word means actor or performer. They're performing apparently righteous acts like giving prayer and fasting, but publicly so others could be impressed. Without the heart change and the right living, it's righteousness that flows from action into the heart, which doesn't work rather than from the heart outward. Paul says exactly the same to the church in Rome. He says it like this. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Not one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, having faith in God. That was Abraham's promise, wasn't it? It was about righteousness through faith in God. And then circumcision came about. His praise, look at this, his praise is not from man, but from God. So Jesus is saying what we are forms what we do, not the other way around. God has fundamentally changed us as Christians, and therefore it affects our behavior. You can do exactly the same things the other way around. 
you can change what you do without anything changing in your heart. John Stott writes this, Righteousness must be allowed to penetrate beyond our actions and words to our heart, mind and motives to master us even in those hidden secret places. So Jesus' assumption is that we'll give, which might be a challenge to some of us who don't, (laughs) just by the simple fact that he assumes that we will. But that isn't something that then should make us go, oh, therefore I should just give. It should should send off an alarm bell that goes, what's going on in my heart? What's going on in my heart that means I don't want to give? Do I really want to give? Do I really want to love and obey God? See, gift days, we do need to raise money for the building, but we have gift days anyway. And if we weren't giving it to the building, we'd be giving it to something else. Why do we do that? Because giving is a matter of the heart. It's good for our hearts. There is a practical element, obviously, as well. So are we living in a place of gratitude to God for him giving his all to us in Christ? Are we responding responding by giving our whole lives to him, even our bank accounts? And when we come to break bread later, we're reminding ourselves that Jesus has given his all for us, that he's taken on our sin so that we could become in our hearts the righteousness of God. The second thing I think Jesus is speaking into is this. He's speaking into recognition. Humanity has an innate desire to be noticed and recognized and seen. Like if you watch young children, if you've been a dad, you'll, you'll have heard this phrase, Daddy, watch me! Watch me! Daddy, watch me! Watch me! Okay, yeah, right. I'm watching... The watching's important. The watching's important. There's an innate desire in every human being to be noticed. Uh, one writer says this: the drive to be noticed is not only the result of sin, but it's also part of the image of God. It's actually part of the image of God in us to want to be seen and noticed. And sin twists it. We were made to be not- to notice and to be noticed by God. The desire to be noticed by the Father is what later tradition calls faith. We were made for God's recognition, not to get it from elsewhere. And if we don't get it from God, we will look for it elsewhere. I think that's what Jesus is saying. If you don't get your praise and approval from God, you will look for it somewhere else. Because it's an innate human kind of part of our condition to want to be noticed. And so we get this trumpet metaphor that Jesus is using in the passage where he says, sound no trumpet before you. Uh, so this is it's quite a, Doug's going to help us out. It's quite a hilarious uh, picture that he's imagining. Pharisees in the, in the street, perhaps helping a beggar who might respond enthusiastically and very publicly, or perhaps a moment where they put their cash or check in the envelope, and uh, it's gift day in the temple. the picture that Jesus is imagining sound no trumpet before you now whether that literally was happening or not but he's he's describing what the kind of giving that they're doing for the praise of others in that way as if that were really happening which we find amusing um the context in Jesus day is that's the kind of thing that they're doing not when they're literally doing it or 
giving to a beggar on the street and them enthusiastically responding and getting credit for, the, for it. And Jesus says in John 5 to the Pharisees, when you receive glory from one another, uh, how can you believe, he says, when you receive glory from one another and don't seek the glory that comes from God only. And later on, he says about them in John 12, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. We've had some really spot-on prophetic words, I'm sure. Was it Christine brought the word about self-righteous pride? That's the thing that Jesus is challenging. One writer, uh, actor, said this, you can pick out actors, which is what Jesus is describing them as performers, you can pick out actors by the glazed look that comes over their eyes when the conversation wanders away from themselves. (laughs) And it's possible for us to have that posture when it comes to our performing of righteousness and the way that we live our lives and our giving, our praying, our, and so on. But Jesus is saying, don't seek praise from others when you give. Don't sound any trumpet. Don't alert people to what you're doing. And I think he's also saying, almost don't be even aware of it yourself, which is probably the greater danger for us. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He's using hyperbole to say, kind of be unaware or unself-ish, or unself-conscious. He's saying, don't even live for your own self-congratulation. Don't even have a moment in your heart where you're impressed by your own sacrifice. Don't No conceit, self-conceited pat on the back for what you've done. No internal, I am, after all, a fairly decent guy. Which might not have a trumpet kind of preceding you to the... But in, inside, in our hearts, we can have a, hey, kind of moment. And so Jesus, I think, is encouraging us to be marked by our self-forgetfulness when we give. Like your left hand to know what your right hand is doing. And give it a moment's thought afterwards. And one of the ways in which we kind of help ourselves with that is we come to the table and we break bread together. Because when you remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, it's much harder to be impressed by your own sacrifice, isn't it? When you come before the table and you remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, giving his life for us, the Father giving his Son for us, it's very hard to be impressed with your own self-sacrifice when we give. And unless we come to the table regularly, that's always going to creep in, our own sense of self Congratulation. In fact, Nigel was talking about this earlier, wasn't he, when he said, he read from John 5.30, when Jesus says, I seek not to please myself, but to please him who sent me. That's who Jesus lived for. He lived to please the Father, not to please himself. And Jesus has shown us what living for God's recognition looks like, hasn't he? who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing and became a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him. Therefore, God will sound trumpets on the last day when he returns. There will be a moment of trumpets before Jesus, because therefore God has highly exalted him above, um, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. 
so that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow um, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But earlier in Matthew, we read uh, this in Matthew 5.16. It says, let your light shine before others. Let your light shine before others. It seems to be saying the opposite thing, doesn't it? Let your light shine before others. This is let your, as in the whole church. So that people may see your good works, see your righteousness, and give glory to your Father in heaven. So what's going on there? Well, there's an appropriate recognition by the, the world of the whole church as a city on a hill, a shining light for all to see, clearly done to bring glory to the Father. It's not about an individual church or individual person receiving praise for the good things that they do. And that can be the problem with identifying, like, you know when you read the Bible and you think it's, we, we use our Western individualism to read it, and we go, therefore, I should let my personal good works shine before other people, and then the God will get the glory. That's not quite what it's saying. It's saying you as a whole church, as you give to the needy to serve your community and establish the hive and do good works from there that will genuinely meet the needs, people won't be going, that so-and-so is doing great work for the community. They'll be going, oh, whoever does that thing in the hive, (laughs) those people, that church, there's a church there, Life Church Beckles. They're just really good stuff in the community. And God gets the glory rather than one individual. So the recognition that comes from others fuels pride, but living from recognition from God fuels his glory. When we were at the call, Bob Roberts said this, I don't serve to convert, I serve because I'm converted. And I think that's an important distinction, isn't it? We're not serving so we'll be visible. We serve... So our visibility brings glory to God. And there's a different heart posture. Why is seeking praise from others then such an affront? Why is Jesus confronting it? I think because we already have in our baptism all the praise and approval of God that we could ever want, desire, or need. Jesus, before he starts his earthly ministry, goes from a place of knowing the Father's recognition of him at his baptism This is my son in whom I delight. With him I am well pleased. And that's the same place that all of us live from at every and any moment. This is my father. And he says, you're my son. You're my child. It's when he's talking about son, he's talking about son like an inheritor. And not like son as in male. So whether you're a woman or a man, it still applies to you. Yeah. This is my son in whom I delight. With you I'm well pleased. And that's the father's voice over us his recognition and approval of us at every and any moment. And this frees us up to give in response to God's recognition rather than slavishly seeking the recognition of others. Because what the Pharisees were doing was trying to gain other people's recognition, sounding the trumpet so that others would give them praise. But if you already know the recognition of the Father, you've no need to kind of slavishly have to work for that You've already, in Christ, earned all the praise and all the recognition you ever could. And so there's no need to go about doing that. It frees us up. Otherwise, we're beholden to people's praise and it demands a sacrifice in order to achieve it, rather than just giving out of response to what Jesus has already sacrificed for us. And so we come to the table 
today recognizing and remembering that the sacrifice was paid for our recognition. That Jesus has already paid the sacrifice so we could know the voice of the Father saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased and whom I delight. Have a listen to this. Hey, this is the book I recommended last week. I managed to get it off the shelf this week so you can see what it looks like. Os Guinness, The Call. Brilliant book. Brilliant book. You should really have it. If you don't, you should buy it. He says this. It's full of... It's got to be one of my most highlighted books. If I just, It's full of yellow highlighter. Makes it easy when I come to preach and then I go, oh, there it is. He says this. Most of us, whether we're aware of it or not, do things with an eye to the approval of some audience or other. The question is not whether we have an audience, but which audience we have. Then he encourages us to shift our awareness of audience to the point where the only, where only the last and highest God counts. To shift our awareness. The greatest deeds are done before the audience of one. And that's enough. Those who are seen and sung by the audience of one can afford to be careless about lesser audiences. I love that. Those who are seen and sung by the audience of one can afford to be careless about lesser audiences. Great book. Um, So are we living before an audience of one as we give uh, this week? Are we giving confident of the Father's recognition of us in Christ? Are we reminding ourselves regularly when we come to the table that God already approves of us? Last thing is reward. See, the reason this is dangerous is because there is actually a reward for living for the recognition of others. You do actually get their praise. And Jesus isn't saying that that isn't an actual real thing and it isn't necessarily a bad thing it's a real thing you get like when you do something and somebody gives you praise how does it make you feel makes you feel good doesn't it it's a good thing he's actually not really putting that down he's not denying somebody that reward but what he's saying is is that the appropriate reward for living for other people's praise is their praise but that's all you get yeah If you live for other people's praise and then you get their praise, job done. You've got what you set out for. They've praised you, you've received it, and you've got your reward. It's been paid in full. Jesus is using business language here. The transaction he's saying is complete. You lived for it, you got it, job done. That's it. That's all you're going to get. I think what he's saying is a bit like... Take you back to your childhood. If you're ever into collecting Premier League cards, do you remember that? No, you don't remember that. Pokemon cards then. You must have done one or the other, surely. Sebs is into collecting Pokemon cards at the minute. He's got a whole folder of them. He collects the cards. He puts them in his folder. I used to have a Premier League folder that have a space for every player. You collect the cards. You stick them in there or you slot them in there. And you're trying to complete the whole thing. And he's at that age where you're a little bit nervous when he talks about trading with his mates because he hasn't got a clue. And so he's turning up with these brilliant cards. And his, you, know, you can imagine his friends going, hey, I'll swap you these 10 cards, 10 absolutely rubbish cards that you can get 
off the internet for a penny. And Sebs is holding in his hand something that people would pay 10, 20 quid for on the internet, if you can believe that. And so he's thinking about this swap. I'm just imagining a situation that doesn't happen. And you're going in your head, no, don't swap it for that. Don't live for that. That's a rubbish set of cards in exchange for that. You could live for something better than that. Sebs, we could sell this for 10, 20 quid on the internet. I think it's also almost that kind of scenario that Jesus has got here, where don't live for that. Really? Other people's praise and recognition. Don't live for that. There's so much more. Have a bigger ambition. Don't limit yourself in that way. People's praise is the right reward for the limited ambition of receiving people's praise. But it's a trivial reward in comparison to what God could give in return. He's saying there's more than that. Be more ambitious. Live for God's reward. Don't be content with people's recognition. Seek God's. And by seeking the praise of others, we risk losing the reward of the Father. That's the danger of it. We we live for the other's reward. We risk losing the greater one. So we said this. If we live in order to be recognized by others, we receive a reward from them, but not God. If we live in order to be recognized by God, we receive a reward from God, and also possibly from others. Because it doesn't rule out the fact that there might be praise and recognition from others. It's just that's not what you're living for. And it's an extra bonus. But it's not the thing that we're gunning for. See, God sees everything done in secret. Psalm 139. O Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. Where shall I go to flee from your presence? Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Psalm 98. You set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins are in the light of your presence. Jeremiah 23. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth? God doesn't recognize and reward what's done publicly for others' praise. The Father does see, though, what happens in secret. This week, as you're kind of mulling over this gift day, the Father is seeing what's going on in your heart and how you're responding. And that's what it means to live before an audience of one as we come to give, is to be thinking about that rather than anything else. He notices you there. He recognizes your sacrifice. You know, for some of you, you're thinking, I already gave quite a lot last time. <laughs> I already gave quite a lot, Lord. And it's got us thus far. And then God's calling us to give again. And that's the Christian life, isn't it? You sacrifice. And then again, another opportunity to sacrifice. That's the, the life Jesus has called us to, to take up our cross and follow him. But the Father is impressed. Yeah? We're not to be impressed with ourselves, but the Father is impressed. Nobody else knows what you gave. We have no idea how that 114 grand came together. Like, two people probably in the room know that could find it out if they wanted to know everything about it Stuart and Janet the rest we haven't got a clue how 114 grand happened but the father is impressed 
He is. He sees our sacrifice. He's impressed. Um, Bruno says again, it's important that believers know that their Heavenly Father notices what they do and notices not merely in a deistic, like a distant grandfather, but in a personal way. As a living father, human beings are made to be noticed and to want to be noticed by God. Jesus doesn't give techniques for eliminating this passion. He redirects it. Live to impress the Father, to please him in your giving. Jesus says the Father's name 17 times in this sermon. What he's doing is he's emphasizing closeness to the Father. The reward is it's not just a business transaction. This, is, this brings you close to the Father. This brings you close to the Father. It's relational. It's a personal response to his generosity. And it's done in secret before his audience. It draws us near to him. And there's a future reward that Jesus is talking about primarily on the last day when he returns. And that's not a business traction either. It's not quid pro quo. You won't get the equivalent of what you've given back in reward. Jesus says this about that moment. You will not receive... A, uh, sorry. Um, that we will be those who, um, who will not receive a hundredfold... Sorry. He says that we'll receive a hundredfold now in this time and in the age to come. Out of God's abundance and his generosity and his grace, he gives to us much beyond anything that we've sacrificed or given to him we have some wonderfully generous hearts among us here 114 grand of a church our size is pretty sizable yeah we've got some wonderfully generous hearts here who've learned that righteousness isn't about following the rules giving a 10 percent tithe like an old testament rule to follow it's about entering into the joy of god's giving it's about giving him everything as he's given us everything in Jesus. It's about living for him and for his hundredfold reward. Remember just coming to us and saying, hey, we're looking to raise a hundred grand and just being amazed by the response because folks here learned the generous heart of God towards them and were responding appropriately for his recognition and for his reward. And so this gift, these gift days... They are to raise money for the hive because our money has gone so far. We showed you the situation uh, back in June. Uh, it hasn't changed much in that every time we spend some, what we're doing now is we're scrimping. We're getting the cheapest chairs we can to make sure everyone sits down. We're trying to equip the cafe with, with what we've got. We're trying to finish off this and finish on that and we're scrimping. And we don't want to go any further into our reserves because trustees rightly have said, We need to replenish these. This is not healthy. We need to boost them back up. And so there's a need to give, to give to the needy so that we can serve the community that meets the needs of folks in our community. But primarily, these gift days are a heart issue. They're about responding to the generosity of God towards us. It's not what you give, Jesus says. It's how and why you do it that matters. Should we um, just ready ourselves to break bread together? And then we'll, um, we'll do that. The way that we're going to do that, if you're a visitor, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, uh, so you haven't uh, started following uh, Jesus yourself, then please feel free to sit this out. This is something we do as a church family. There's some tables at the front that have gluten-free if, um, 
that's appropriate for you. And the way that we're going to do it this morning is we're going to get into groups. Please watch out for those around you so that nobody's uh, missed out by that. And let's break bread together in, in small groups and give thanks to Jesus for his sacrifice. Should we, um, I want to pray and then we'll, we'll do that. Lord Jesus, as we uh, come to give now uh, in these gift days, um, Lord, we don't want to be impressed by our own self-sacrifice and self-congratulatory about the way that we go, what we give. But Lord, we pray in order to guard against that, would you help us now as we celebrate your sacrifice for us, your great exchange where you paid the penalty for our sin on the cross so that your righteousness could be given to us and so we could live out of response to that. Help us to be well impressed by your sacrifice for us on our behalf. Help us to see very clearly all that you've given for us. Help our hearts be amazed once again at your generosity towards us. Help us give out of awe and gratitude for you who've given us all things. Thank you, Father, you didn't spare your own son, but gave him up for us all. Help us now as we break bread together to remember that we have all the recognition we need and can give from a place of confidence and security, not seeking our own or others' praise, but knowing we have a Father in heaven who shouts from the heavens over us, this is my son in whom I delight. With you I'm well pleased. Help us hear that loud and clear as we celebrate um, and break bread together and as we think about giving this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.